listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, episode 19, Sarah Corbett, How the Craftivist Collective Creates Change with Gentle Protest. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muta Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. Sarah Corbett is an award-winning activist, campaign consultant and a shocker changemakers fellow who has helped change government laws, business policies and hearts and minds. In this podcast, we discuss Sarah's gentle protest approach to activism, how craft can be a powerful and uniting force for good, and how effective campaigns for change, including one for Marks and Spencers, have led to results that change lives. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, can we start a little bit from where you began, where it all began, you know, growing up, Liverpool, mum, dad, the lot? Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, my journey as a craftivist started as activism. So I grew up in West Everton in Liverpool in the 80s in a very low-income area. My dad is still the local vicar there and my mum was a nurse and then a mum of three kids living on the 14th floor of a tower block and three kids under five. So she said she nearly had a breakdown, which yep. is understandable. Um, and... She, They got into politics because of local issues around housing, health, but also I remember my mum forcing fair trade coffee on people when it tasted disgusting and having lots of campaign mugs about anti-apartheid in South Africa. So it was always there. Um, so I grew up with them getting more involved in local politics. We squatted in social housing, which we won, so they're still there. Um, so from the age of three, and my mum always says in the womb, I was part of activism me- meetings. So it was very natural to have people in our back kitchen campaigning and planning around how do we get a, a new health centre, how do we make sure our housing isn't mouldy, which is making people ill, um, and then boycotting some brands um, because my parents would say we don't want to give them money, which is why we don't buy this and that. So it was always there. And did you just did you understand it then? Did well, you I know think it what, just why? seeped in because we'd always say like, why aren't we in you know this branded chocolate bar that all of our friends are, or why aren't we going to this? restaurant takeaway place that all my friends go to and my mum and dad were very good at explaining it and then saying so we can do if you really think that you should and they didn't want us to be bullied and left out but these are our reasons what do you think so they were very good at having those conversations from an early age and the same with my mum used to make our clothes because it was cheaper too but also she wanted them to last and to pass on um so it was always there very quietly and then some more explicit campaigning where they'd be on the cover of the local newspaper, you know, with placards. And and how did that impact you at school? You know, how did... Yeah, um, it was difficult because I'm, na- I'm an introvert and I'm naturally shy and don't like attention. <laughs> so when you have teachers saying, oh, so your parents do this, I'd find it quite embarrassing. But at the same time, I always knew it was... F- 
for good they were always doing good they weren't just doing activism to rebel for the sake of it it was never about them it was never about them getting fame or um wanting to be heard like they're amazing at putting the cause before themselves um so it was difficult at times and when I turned 18 when I was in sixth form um at school my mum was up for local councillor as a local politician so people knew because you know you see it in the media and um and Liverpool's quite small and I remember finding that quite surreal and voting for my mother but it was it was amazing and I could see change was happening Mm. from an early age so we did save social housing we did get health centres we got um we made sure that our local supermarket sold fruit and veg, which they didn't at the beginning. Um, I campaigned at school because I saw that the students wanted lockers, but the head teacher said we couldn't have them. So I started questioning why. Um, and she said it was health and safety and it wasn't. So we ended up getting lockers because I quietly nudged and explained the situation to parent governors. And I think because my parents were very strategic at and I'd hear them have these meetings of who has the power, who do we need to target, what are we asking for, is it realistic, what's the time? And so when I saw injustices in school, I immediately thought, who has the power, what are we targeting, what's the reason behind this, and can we have a better argument? It just came out of growing up. Mm. Yeah. Like, it's osmos. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And I'm a geek, so I love learning. Mm -hmm. So I just constantly listen and be like, ooh, this is interesting. Mm. How has that um, played into your work now then? You know, because I know that um, perhaps initially your parents didn't understand exactly what you were doing. So I would have thought they would straight away just be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, so the craftivism started when... So I ended up campaigning at university and then I only was really employable as a campaigner because that was what I did and I was passionate about it and campaigning does work you see it throughout history so I didn't want to give up on it um but I was burning out as an introvert but also I was working for the government international development department traveling the country mobilizing young people young adults in campaigning who um you don't normally see campaigning in international development And I was exhausted because we had massive targets for a three-year project and I was passionate about it, um, but completely drained. And also in my personal life, I moved to London and I joined lots of activist groups and it was tiring as an introvert because everything's with people. But I also didn't fit into a lot of groups. Like, I love your podcast because I love fashion. You know, I think it's a beautiful, creative stunning thing in the world so I love reading Vogue every month and I have a subscription from my godmother that I never want to stop so if I carried Vogue to activist meetings people would be like you're not allowed to like fashion Mm. you should be wearing hemp or you should be anti this which I'm not or you have to be really loud or you have to be violent or aggressive and demonizing people which didn't fit my morals and then I picked up a cross-stitch kit because I was traveling on trains a lot so I was getting travel sick reading and writing reports and like I guess a lot of your listeners you know I wanted to make stuff with my hands which in this digital world we live in everything was tapping with my thumbs or or on my laptop so I just picked up a little cross stitch kit of a teddy thinking I can't paint on trains even though I love painting so I'll do something with my hands and I immediately noticed that 
the repetitive hand action of stitching and threading your needle forced me to slow down, calm down, made me very mindful of how shaky I was, how shallow my my breathing was. I was very anxious and burnt out and thinking whether I could be an activist still or whether I was doing activism well or badly and teaching people well or badly. And it gave me that comfort of crafting, which is very soft and calming to ask myself quite uncomfortable questions that I needed to ask, but without going on a downward spiral and do it in a very calming way. And there's so much... I've been lucky to work with neuroscientists and clinicians on one project to see how crafting and repetitive hand actions with soft objects really helps with well-being, mental health, anxiety, depression. Um, It's a huge comforting tool so to be able to do that whilst you ask yourself about where can I be part of the change I want to see in the world and not feel overwhelmed but help you be more strategic and efficient Mm. and sustainable in your activism and the kindness stuff of Mm. I want to treat people how you know I'd hope that I would treat people how I wanted to be treated yet so much of the activism I was told to do was screaming at people or telling them what to do or treating them like robots saying just sign this or just come on this march so it gave me time to think can activism be more loving and gentle and I guess again coming back to growing up you know we had posters of Martin Luther King up I went to South Africa when I was eight with my parents and family after Mandela got out so that they'd learn Um, what communities were doing there and what they could learn for our community. So seeing all the peace and reconciliation that Desmond Tutu and Mandela had done, and it was much more effective than screaming Mm. at people, um, made me think, well, if people directly oppress them and they had to work with them to form a stable country, then if they can do it... Yeah, it's that it. kind of like coming together through commonalities as well like yeah. human connection not just yeah through, and I yeah. and I read lots of um books on psychology and behavioral science and emotional intelligence so all of that seeps in because the more we know about our brains and emotions the better we are as activists mm-hmm. and I felt like a lot of activism still sadly is very quick and transactional or it's quite harmful and Mm. toxic and I on the back of my book that you know um it says if we want the world to be more beautiful kind Mm. and fair that hopefully you all do lovely listeners then our activism should be beautiful kind Mm. and fair otherwise we're hypocritical it discredits our campaigns it's much easier for those that we're challenging or encouraging to change their ways to say I'm not going to listen to you you're throwing eggs at me you're not being mm. the we actually had um, at fashion week this time there's a, a lot of um, campaign outside the studios yeah for the fur yeah and actually you know for, for me and a lot of people that attended the fashion week it just was felt as if get your facts straight yeah not that many people use fur probably no one uses real fur in this country Number two, you're not really targeting the right people in the right place. And number three, actually, you're causing detriment because now these people are scared to come in and see the shows and they're the people that could actually move the fashion industry on. And it's kind of, you know, perhaps a different way of engaging would have been more effective. And they're not going to ask questions to say, oh, tell me a bit more about that. And, you know, we... 
when we feel attacked, we either fly away and close off and stop listening or we fight back and stop listening. So it's not, makes no sense. It's very, so it made sense for me that craft could, the process could help me think more strategically and critically and use that comfort to think more deeply and empathetically. But then the objects themselves, I always made them, because you can do craftivism that's big and swear words and aggressive. And I make sure I use warm hopeful yellows and Mm. lovely colors and make it a bit kitsch so it's as on you know it's not as aggressive as it possibly can be um and it these objects were something to show your commitment but people would engage with it whether it was a gift for a power holder or whether it was a very small piece of street art or little fashion statements that we shop drop instead of shoplift we drop them in pockets so it was my way of thinking you know For me, I'm stubborn, like most of us. I don't want to be told what to do, but I would like to be nudged and have Mm. some seeds planted so that I could see that there's something I might not know about or I need to question Mm. things. And we know, again, in the rest of life that we need to come up with our own decisions for it to last long, for us to invest in it. So for some people to change is very short-term thinking, whereas saying here's one solution that you could be part of that's lovely and it's brilliant and it make you feel better and it's better for the world and people and planet and show all these positives for everyone it's much more attractive for people mm. to want to join in longer lasting you know yeah it just instills them and, and like you say that seed is within them and it grows in them and then they can you know pass it on to the next yeah. person and it's much important. more sustainable for activists mm. instead of screaming at people and being negative to be able to encourage people to join in is really inspiring as a you know I'm quite selfish really doing the work I do because I find it amazing asking people questions finding out what they were thinking and then saying how we can all be part of the solution whether we're in the industry or outside whether we're campaigners or CEOs and I end up leaving being hopeful and excited Mm. and hopefully they do as well which is much nicer than screaming down a megaphone yeah for sure and actually you know one of the biggest things is you really do get your word heard um mm. can you talk to us a bit about the MS and the whole board holders because obviously yeah. with my fashion angle you oh know, yeah I- and so many of our projects linking with fashion so some are directly fashion related projects or kits some of the kits you can link in with the issues you care about um and i genuinely love that you're doing this because the fashion industry in some ways is much quicker to change governments and bureaucracy it's much harder in lots of ways with voters and the fashion industry is as you know is one of the biggest industries in the world with billions or even trillions of money coming in and out of it um so i'm really passionate we can change things with marks and spencers which is one of the biggest retailers in the uk and it has stores overseas as well um there's an incredible campaign organization called share action that again don't do demonizing stuff they do shareholder activism and the ceo of the charity got a copy of my little book um before my big book came out and emailed me and said we've tried everything for three years to get one meeting with the ceo of Marks and Spencers, just to have one meeting to ask about the living wage and whether they'd consider it. And they got nowhere and they tried petitions, they tried demonstrations, they tried so many forms of activism 
and she emailed me saying, your book's so weird. I thought you might have a new way that we could target them. So I immediately, and I had only had five weeks before the AGM. So I immediately thought if the CEO isn't listening, who's above the CEO, the board members, there's only 14 board members, we can buy a share and go to the AGM as a shareholder where there's other hundreds of shareholders, there's the media, there's lots of high-up staff, and we could actually meet the board members. Um, so in that sense, it's quite unusual compared to other campaigns we've done. And I thought, instead of trying to get craftivists all over the world to make a gift for them, um, I'm just going to make it very intimate activism, because clearly activism scares them a little bit. So I'll make it quiet and intimate. I bought handkerchiefs from Marks and Spencers to show that we weren't boycotting them, but we were customers. And I asked 14 craftivists from across the UK, so not London-centric, where I am, um, who were Marks and Spencers customers, or at least looked like their core customer base, because they're going to listen to their customer base more than some people that don't look like they are. And I said, here's a hanky, and I posted them all to my craftivists, and I picked ones that are hardworking and conscientious, um, and quite shy, so not aggressive at all, quite nervous people, and gave them a handkerchief and said, I want you to look at everything to do with your board member that I've gave you. What colours do they wear? What clothes do they like? Are they extrovert, introvert, flamboyant, shy? What are their passions and hobbies? What are the jobs that they used to have? And you can find all of that mm. on LinkedIn and Google and create a, a bespoke handkerchief for them with a positive, timeless quote. So not saying pay the living wage, but basically saying don't blow it, use your power for good. You've got an incredible opportunity. So very positive, but lovingly challenging a little bit. Um, and then write a handwritten letter to go with it to say, while I was making your handkerchief, I was thinking about how difficult your job is, but how rewarding, how amazing, how you know, well done for getting it. But also how shocked as a customer I am that you don't pay the living wage because we love your staff and it's high quality clothes and they're not cheap. So we expect you to do that. And you're a British instant, you know, a, a, what do you call them? A treasure, like mm. a British treasure. So we expect a lot. And also if you lead the way in that, other brands mm. would. So a bit of massage in the ego, but very honest and, and vulnerable and saying you have the power and we want to encourage you. We hand-delivered them at the AGM and asked for that one meeting and we got the meeting and they were really moved by their hankies. We had these one-to-one -one conversations again and it wasn't closed questions or violent language. It was asking them, could they do it? Wouldn't it be brilliant? What do they think? So very humble activism. And then over the next year, we had lots of boring meetings that sadly didn't include craft um, because it was the catalyst rather than the only thing that we did. And by the time that the the next AGM came along, they'd announced that they were paying the living wage to 50,000 staff. Mm. So we immediately didn't say, look, we've won a campaign. Mm. We wrote to them and said, well done. And we went back to the AGM and congratulated them all individually, which they really liked because mm. they don't get thanked mm -hmm. a lot. And we said, you know, it'd be great if you were accredited living wage employers which we know is difficult but that would be the next step so it was a very yeah that intimate form of activism where we had these one-to-one -one relationships with them and I was told and lots of the craftivists were told by their board member um they said thank you that we'd done this in such a positive way 
Um, some of the board members were against the living wage, of course, but that was useful to know anyway. What was their rationale for that? Oh, lots of stuff about how this isn't to do with us, it's the government's fault or it's the housing prices that are an issue and it's not about... It shouldn't be down to us to pay a wage because people's housing is too expensive or, or we give really good um, benefits like vouchers. and So we were quite clear that a discount on clothing doesn't help you pay your gas bill. Um so there was, of course, people against us and lots of reasons not to do it because it'd be harder to do it. But we would, I was told directly by the chair of the board then that it, was, it really moved them and the living wage wasn't on their agenda. But because they got these gifts, they kept talking about mm-hmm. it when they met up, like, where's your hanky? What did yours say again? So it kept coming onto the agenda and then they started talking about it. And him and his wife told me how powerful the campaign mm-hmm. was, which you don't often hear when you do campaigns whether it works or not so that was really useful I think that's something that you touch on about is um you know we talk a lot about particularly in the tech world like measuring success analytics doing this and that and the other and you know I know you're an advocate for not just measuring that kind of end goal yeah um it's a difficult one because you you know with anything you should have a strategy and you should try and see where you can measure it and like my last chapter of the book was really difficult to write on measuring success because for me craftivism isn't just about signing petitions and getting quick fixes it can do that but I think the strength in it of what makes it different in the activism toolkit and it's not to replace other forms of activism but very much a tool to pick up when needed you know I still go on some marches that I think have got a clear aim some of them don't especially at the moment so I haven't gone on some of them um but it's for me craftivism is amazing for really trying to help people change their hearts and minds and habits mm-hmm. and behaviors and that's hard to measure and I don't want to treat people as guinea pigs in my workshops um but is I constantly get emails and letters from people saying how it's helped them personally think differently or act differently or it's helped different campaigns so WWF Um, used my 10-point manifesto for a campaign they did in Spain to protect migrated birds, and they won. So I just got this email out of the blue before Christmas saying, I'm not sure if you know, but we followed all of your points, and we tried to do this campaign that wasn't working, and we did what you did, but they did up beautiful origami birds in very positive, gentle colours outside um, Parliament, and it engaged the politicians and they voted on something um to protect these migrated birds so it's quite humbling for me to be like i don't need to do it all of this stuff's out there for other people so some of it's local some of it's international Mm -hmm. but i do try and make all of our projects as strategic as possible with who you're trying to target, who has the power, rather than just make something and put it out that's mm. awareness raising. You know, activism yeah. is not awareness raising. How how do you choose the projects that you work on? Like, how are they yeah. brought to you? <laughs> it's really difficult because so I run the Craftivist Collective, um, but I'm a one woman band, and you know you don't make much money from it. My nan always calls me saying, "Why didn't Why didn't you just stay at Oxfam and?" you know get promoted again and and I totally understand that you know she wants me to be secure but I get to work with lots of charities sometimes behind the scenes as as a consultant sometimes public collaborations 
I have to be really picky so I don't become a burnt out craftivist, which would be ironic. Um, and again, looking at all my projects, some are issue based, some are like our mini banners you can use for anything. So I make cross stitch banners and often put them up during London Fashion Week near Somerset House and different brands but you can do it on any issue at any time and because we have craftivists all over the world you know I started doing it by accident and people started wanting to join in around the world so it all happened very organically and my parents at the beginning were like we don't quite know what you're doing but you know we'll just watch and now they totally get it and it took a few years for campaigners to understand it um but I want to campaign award last year um which again proves that craftivism i think is legitimate and useful but it's difficult so i've got some projects on one on climate change which covers that which people can do at any time of year on their own or with groups i've just done a project on mental health because we didn't have one um and i saw you um engaging with the mp and sort yeah of so we make short, positive yeah. notes mm. for politicians in the uk um asking them to to reach their target of health equality so health equality and services between mental and physical health services before 2021 which they've agreed to but all of the austerity measures and what they're doing doesn't fit it um and actually the services have gone down and are more stressed out but all of the political parties before the general election we had last year had put mental health in their manifesto, which is the first time ever. So it felt like really good timing to say to new MPs, as well as some that got a massive majority or a much smaller one, to say, what are you doing on mental health? You've said publicly you're going to do stuff, but we want to make you accountable. But what's brilliant as well is the kits are used by people all over the world and they just change the words to link in with their senator or with their local councillors. Or... So I try and make them as accessible as possible, but also have a clear goal. Because um, like I said, activism isn't awareness raising or donation or fundraising. fundraising. It's acting on issues that are structural change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. So it's not put on a plaster on a wound it's trying to make sure that wound never happens again sort of healing healing inside for the outside yeah yeah not just patching it up um i wanted to talk a little bit about the the sort of openness uh element of your work so we've talked about fear and you Mm. know come recently there's been a few stabbings on the buses and things like that where i live and you know your activism is that gentle is that kind of mind-changing thing um Mm. so how how can we approach i know it's not craft related but how do you feel we can approach this whole fear in society and and kind of speak up for ourselves without getting stabbed you know it's like and it's really hard because the last thing i'd want is to put people in danger and i wrote the book to show that there's lots of thinking that we need to do around craftivism but also it's called How to Be a Craftivist, The Art of Gentle Protest, because my approach to craftivism is gentle protest. So you're always protesting, but in a gentle way, which doesn't mean pass, passive or weak, but very much about you know loving and considered and compassionate. And the book, hopefully, and I've had lots of people who don't do craft who've read the book, mm. who've said there's lots of transferable skills, which I was really keen to have in there. So stuff about open questions instead of closed questions. Mm-hmm. So asking like, oh, tell me more about why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. If someone says something racist, 
instead of saying why did you say that mm. so gen just quiet things like that um i think are really important with stuff like on the bus so i grew up in an area where we have gangs at the moment and violence is increasing which is a worry um but so much of it we've got to see these especially young lads as it's them trying to prove themselves it's a status thing it's fear as well coming out as aggression or them feeling labeled and vulnerable um and it's really scary on the bus i take the bus everywhere so i wouldn't say to people go and ask how are you feeling about this when you're violently bullying someone so I think it's all case by case. But in that sense, I think it's looking at the context. And then, you know, what I'd do is I'd go downstairs and say to the driver, I'm really worried. You know, there is mirrors on buses and sometimes there's cameras now. So I'm really worried there's something happened upstairs. I think they've got a knife or they're being violent. And then the bus driver has to deal with it rather than you. Um, and they're trained up in that now, sadly. Mm-hmm. And they're behind their little screen, so there's more protection. But it's really different different for different circumstances. So sometimes I do challenge people at a bus stop. Sometimes I just make sure that you know lads that live near me I get them to help me with all of my bags of stuff up the stairs rather than walk past them fearful because that just labels them and makes them think that I'm scared of them and dehumanizing them whereas when I say oh lads could you give me a hand they normally always say yes because I do it with a smile I'm not angry or aggressive the woman who set up kids company is incredible on all of this stuff of making sure your body language is respectful to people Mm. but not fearful and not trying to gain power over them Mm. and it all comes to emotional intelligence for me which is why I'm really passionate that we do activism in an emotionally intelligent and loving way because it's much more effective yeah um I was just thinking about your your sort of you told me a bit off air about your reading week yeah um, and I found that pretty incredible because I know it's also hard for us to take time out and um one of the books that you recommended um can you just talk a little bit about about that and why you felt you needed to do that or didn't do yeah. it yeah <laughs> I think it's really I mean if you google activist burnout it's huge you know when you're passionate about something you often do things fast and quick and put all your energy into it and sadly with activism it is difficult it's not a quick easy recipe that always wins and context change and and it can take decades um so it's it's a difficult one to do and i don't want people giving up on it because it does work um, but I struggle to switch off and I'm passionate about the work that I do and I'm lucky I get to do it full time. Um, but I had a reading week because I was in America with work and, you know, carbon emissions. I was thinking, OK, well, I had to go through New York because I was doing stuff in New York and Florida. And I thought, oh, well, I could have a holiday because I never take holidays. I have a holiday in Boston because I can get the train down there. It's not too much stimulus, so I won't feel bad, like FOMO for not doing too much. Um, And I'll just have a holiday. And then the closer it got to it, the more I was like, I've got to plan things. I've got so much to do. So I picked it as a reading week because, like you, I never have time to read. I travel a lot, so I read a bit, but I get travel sick. Um, And there's still a lot for me to learn, especially on gentle protest. I want to learn about the senses more can we use I use smell a bit more in my workshops with lavenders to calm people down but also um 
touch is really powerful with the soft nature of craft. So I had a book on the senses, one on uh, by a psychiatrist who's a Buddhist, so really interesting on the ego. So I loved it because it it was a nice calming thing for me to do with a nice cup of tea, mm. um, so not too strenuous, but really good for my brain to think about. Imagine if we had activism with no ego, it would be much more effective and mm. be brilliant. So I do. I don't read much on craft or art. I read a lot about yeah the psychology of color. In my book, all my references are things like psychology of fonts. We don't use capital letters. It's all lowercase, often handwritten that you stitch over the top or paper craft. Um, and the more I read about the way our brains and senses work, the more I've seen that craftivism fits. Mm-hmm. It's not against it. Um, it makes me aware that you know I shouldn't use red and black because it's aggressive so I don't use that you know I keep everything small rather than big so people feel excited that they found it um, and have decided to read it rather than it be forced on people Mm. Um, so I loved my reading week Mm. I wish it was two weeks (laughs) maybe it should be an annual worldwide everyone do a reading week oh yeah or like just a bit of personal development Mm. a bit of a sabbatical Mm. yeah yeah um on that uh what's next for you then what's the next yeah. what's the next text not not another reading week but um... i know well no i would like to plan one every year yeah i, I think, think everyone should try and do that if they can what's next so my book came out in the uk a few months ago so still doing lots of events and talks on that getting great feedback um i have kits that i make at home so super ethically made lots of upcycled resources i love making them and posting them around the world so i still do that um lots of more consultancy so lots of talks i was in america recently as i said and i've got to go back because it's people are really clicking with it now and seeing that they've got a huge a huge kind of like quilting and all this kind yeah, of yeah big history really, like the yeah. uk um and it's a similar context mm. so i do lots of training of different groups and organizations for them to then embed either the craft stuff or the gentle protest stuff my tedx talk called activism needs introverts has had nearly a million views which is a bit crazy but that's led me to do more around introversion so not just craft mm. um i'm passionate about gentle protest and where else that can be of use um but the craftivism stuff yeah i'm trying to it's just me at the moment but i'm trying to scale up because there's so many demands for it and it's really sad when i can't do it all so trying to find a way for me not to have to be everywhere but train people up to do the workshops Mm. and i do a lot of events at galleries and and now they're lots of them are selling my kits um yeah, so I try and plan year by year, but also create space mm. because activism is about context, so it changes a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, we've got the kits, we've got the books, we've got all the tools, and now it's about training other people up mm-hmm. to do it and just getting the message out there um, and seeing the book. You know, I love so many of our followers are on Instagram, and what I love is seeing them reading their books in different spaces and saying what they get out of it it's often very different it might be personal it might be something in their community or family or you know lots of different levels and ways that they use it um so just always support and readers and craftivists i regularly do every day yeah does that answer the question definitely a little bit yeah definitely thank you thanks so much for your time today sarah thanks
Gentle protest is a term that Sarah and the Craftivist Collective have become known for. When we think of activism, we often think of confrontation and aggression, not something that is beautiful and heartwarming. Gentle protest reminds us to be that which you wish to see in the world. Compassion, empathy, kindness and love are used to create beautiful messages and campaigns that can open people's hearts and minds to affect positive change. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com. Thank you.